Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Last Monday, I had uh, an opportunity to be in Kingston to visit my mom, who's 96. I was in Toronto, got in the car, drove to Kingston to see my mom. She's 96. But the previous week, I had made reservations to do something really great with my mother. We went to tour the Kingston Penitentiary. Now, I don't know if you know the story of this penitentiary, but it was built in 1855, and it was closed in 2013. I went to university in Kingston, and for those, all those years, the, the walls of the penitentiaries in the city were always something quite ominous. And so when I heard that the penitentiary was open for tours, which brings in $8 million a year, by the way, I thought to myself, we're going to go. So I booked us a tour for 45 minutes in a max, what was a maximum security prison. And I was appropriately depressed. It's unlikely that you come out of touring a prison and you're full of happiness because it does hit you and assault you. I invite you to see a couple of pictures of this. There's uh, the outdoor of this beautiful place, I call it. Beautiful building on, late, on the shore. Next picture, please. You step inside and you see a large complex that is gray brick limestone that was part of the work the inmates did over the centuries. And then here is inside, and just like you see in the movies, these opportunities, there's my mother in the very beginning. Uh, Sorry, in the middle of this picture, we walked for 45 minutes. And then the next picture, this is outside, it's on Lake Ontario, which is such a tragedy for those who are inside, they never get to see or hear or smell that water. It's 36 foot walls. Here I am in a cell. Now I'm six feet, and if you put your hands out, you should get six feet not quite six feet by about 10 feet. That is not a window, that's a light. Um, And then this was on one of the walls, help me go home. That was an incredible tour to to go into this place that I heard so much about and thought about. And I've always had a passion and interest with people who have been in jail. I worked with the Quaker Committee for Jails and Justice in the 80s where we would visit literally the inmates of the Don Jail, which is also closed, to engage in conversation with them. And the life that people end up in there says so much about our society. Just yesterday, if you read the Globe and Mail, there's a full-page story on jails and justice. And in that story, talking about the way we are uh, incarcerating people, and the number of indigenous people, the number of people who have come from very difficult situations only get worse in that setting. And in that story yesterday, the Globe said, and this is a great line you know, what we don't transform, we transmit. And it's a great story about alternative restorative justice in the paper yesterday. When I was on the tour, they were talking about a riot that took place in 1971. It was a huge riot in those days where the inmates overtook the guards and then for a number of days, uh, they took over the prison and literally went crazy in that place. No one was killed, but lots of fires were set. I've always had an interest in what happens when we put people in jail because the evidence is that jails, not bail, is not a good thing for us and not indeed for the people who are present in jail, but that's another whole sermon. But when I saw the sign that mentioned home and I thought about the fires, I began to think about how that place and what it would have been like to be in those 
uh, then that cell, and if you were lucky to get outside into another 36-foot wall with screen over top to try to catch a little bit of sunlight, they said you had to turn with the sun to try to get a little bit of sunlight on you. The awfulness of what humans do to each other came blaringly home to me. But fire there was a sense of anger and rage and passion to overturn. You heard from Don about how firebombs are used. Anybody who's been in Canada this last summer knows that during the summer we were afraid for fires in Kelowna or Yellowknife, or we watched on TV the news of Hawaii. Fires are destructive and they have power and we need to learn to respect them, but also they have an opposite side of warmth, a place to cook and a sign of safety. I remember my mother saying to me, I'll show you this picture. Uh, I think the first one is, there's my mom. You know what she, she, she said to me? After your dad died, I had to learn how to light a fire. You know, and what, isn't that so true when we have a partner who does something for us and then they're not there and we have to do it ourselves for the first time. But here she was and I, I was gonna get up to help her and I thought, I'm not gonna help her. And she did it beautifully. And the next picture, if you will, if it works. One of the things we do at our cottage every year is have this on a rock is to, to light a fire and to watch the fire. And the fire cracks open the rocks. And the very next day you come down and you clear it all away and then you find the little rocks that become skippers and then you have a skipping stone uh, contest. But for lots of us, fires are places of gathering, of warmth, of s'mores, of conversation, of dreaming. And fires draw us nearer nearer to ourself and to our soul. When I was a kid, I don't know if you had this experience, but when we'd have a dinner and it was a special dinner, candles would be lit. And if a candle's lit and a kid's nearby, you know you gotta put your finger in there. And you gotta get that wax, wax on your finger and then you make it a ball and then you flick it at somebody in the room. But candles draw us in. There's something about a candle lit, whether it's a fireplace or a candle that connects us, I believe, at our soul, and we are entering in a different place. So we do know that fire burns, and it warms, it destroys, and it delights. It's a force, and it is gentleness. It comes from dark to bring light. It is smoke, and smoke in your eyes, and it is also a beautiful scent. I text a friend in the congregation to ask what they thought about fire and the immediate response is, fire is home. Fire is home and then it goes on to say this, when Bill and I first walked into the townhouse, there was a woman sitting on the couch in the living room. A fire in the brick fireplace was burning. Instantly we were home, we bought it. The hearth in winter is the focus and center of this home, an anchor. I love to cook on a campfire. No camping trip is complete for me unless I can sit by the fire, cast iron pot and the embers, stirring a bean stew, keeping the fire at the right strength for the job. Fire nurtures me and I respect it. My grandchildren can light campfires. Many kids these days don't know how to light a match, much less a kindle of fire. It's odd to me, how can kids learn to respect fire unless they're allowed to handle it? A lighter doesn't cut it because it's made of throwaway junk. When I ran peace camps for kids 10 to 12, I learned how much children love this opening ritual. Being allowed to pour the water and light a candle was seen as an honor. I was thrilled when I got a fire stirred with a flint and by making an Inuit fire bow. 
All of us have stories and memories and connections to fire and to those symbols in our life. And I think they tie into a greater symbol for all of us. Our indigenous brothers and sisters through the symbol of fire know that it's a place of storytelling. So what does this have to do with the Bible, you say? Well, I began to daydream and wonder how often does fire emerge in the stories of our Hebrew Christian tradition? And it begins, first of all, in the book of Genesis and the beginning stories. Well, it doesn't say there it begins with the order. I imagine them sitting around a campfire late at night, rubbing their hands, keeping warm, and a child saying to the parent, how did we get here? And then the beginning of the storytelling tells in the first creation story about the order and the call for humans to have dominion over the earth. But you know what I love about the Bible? It's filled with contradictions because there, if you move just the next chapter over in chapter two, there's another story where a woman steps into the conversation and says, I don't think it was that way at all. I believe actually we are called to cultivate and take care of the earth, the second story tells us. So from the very beginning, surrounded by a fire, there was warming of hands and storytelling because fires call us in to a deeper sharing and an imagining and a storytelling. If you move to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, it's right over there. Moses, burning bush, it's the story of call. A story where in the burning bush, God, Moses hears the voice of God and God calls Moses to be the leader of the people from bondage to liberation. And in this conversation, finally Moses says, okay, if I go, who do I say sending me? What's your name anyway? And God says, I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. Don't you love the freedom of God? I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. And it is in that burning bush that Moses is called and sent forward. Or if you channel your way through the Psalms and you come to 119, you know this song. The word is a lamp unto thy feet, the light unto my path. Light is a symbol of the word of God. If you move to the prophets in the Bible who are always overturning tables and challenging people, Jeremiah says, is not my word like a fire? and a hammer that breaks rocks. You can see in that challenge of a prophet how fire comes to life. Now, if you skip along into the New Testament and you move into the past the nativity story to the baptisms of Jesus, depending on the gospel and that story, John the Baptist says this, I come to baptize, but the one who is coming after me will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What I love Richard Rohr says about all this, so many of us, and he's talking to Catholics, so many of us Catholics have been baptized with water, but not the fire. He talks about the first one becomes sometimes with infants, just a Kodak moment. He says, I wish there was a second baptism which touched people with fire, a little bit of burning to get them up off their pew and into the world, a passionate baptism. He says... Or in the text that you hear in John's gospel post-Easter, that is after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when the disciples have gone back to what they knew before, they go fishing and they're out fishing and they come to shore and they meet Jesus who's lit a fire and cooking fish for them on the shore. Now you're wondering about the lake of fire and when are you gonna talk about hell? I'll just quickly go take a sidebar over here. Do you know that really hell is something that is put on the Bible? 
Um, Matthew, um, or sorry, Mark and Luke don't talk about hell at all. Matthew's got a hell problem. Talks about it 80 times, we are told. He's all about hell. And when he uses the word hell, he uses the word hell, which means Gehenna, which is a smoking city dump. And so in the passages, he's saying, life without God is like living in a smoky, dirty dump. I agree. So you see, the texts are there, all of them, these stories that touch us and invite us to fire. When I meet with couples who are getting married, I have a short little spiel about marriage. And what I say is, you are marrying a partner, and both of you have what I will say is like a little tea light, a little tea light in your soul. And what your job is, is to fan the flame of your partner's soul to be your partner's greatest cheerleader. You're not supposed to blow it out or spit on it or step in it. You're supposed to be your partner's greatest cheerleader. And I think all of us, whether we have a partner or not, have people in our life that fan our flames and help our soul to shine. And that is what indeed good friendships bring, the shining of our soul. And it might be being at church helps your soul to burn. But I believe all of us have this soul and we are called to take care of it. We are called to have it as something that burns within us with passion and with fire. I wanna read this short poem by Judy Brown that talks about a fire and what's important in a fire. What makes a fire burn is the space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in tonight can dose the flames almost as purely as a pail of cold water. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and the absence of the fuel together that makes fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time and a fire grows simply because it's the space. The space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. So it's the space between the logs that helps the fires to burn. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.